Rock. Ben. Yo. I got gotcha. you. Can you hear me okay? Oh, yeah. Ben, Great. I'm excited. Wish I could say the same, brother. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ben, you troll. Uh, what's hey, up, man? Nothing, nothing. I'm, uh, I'm glad I started this podcast so I can catch up with all my friends. Awesome, man. Yeah, this is a great idea, man. And, uh, yeah, and I've been in quarantine, so it's a good way to catch up, good way to stay busy. Out in Italy, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm in Italy, and everything is locked up right now. Yeah, yeah. So, so it is what it be. Ben, you are the first world champion on the Funky Bunk. Yeah, that's, uh, that sounds way better than what it is, but yeah, I got you, man. <laughs> um, also, you're the first person who's asked me for money that's come on my podcast. <laughs> yeah, that was, <laughs> that's not a real thing, but I'm just totally joking. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, you asked me for money on the podcast, but you you you'd also ask me for money at the yeah, gym I've, every day. So I don't I don't know I don't know what to think I've asked anymore. Plenty of people for money at the gym, particularly people that like, you know, like are newer to the gym, and I'll just say, hey man, so you know I went ahead and taught class today, and you know I I helped you with a few moves. If you wouldn't mind, man, just go ahead and send me a few bucks, man. You can uh you can just send it um you you know you can send it through Facebook or whatever. And, you know, the look on their faces just <laughs> I accept Venmo. I accept yeah, it's, PayPal. It's a ridiculous thing to do. And honestly, I started doing it because Jason, Jason at the gym, Jason has like this like very uh man, I don't I don't I don't know what you want to call it. He has like this other like character of me at the gym, you know, and like he like kind of pushes this idea that I'm a drug addict and I ask people for money. <laughs> that's just that's just what he does he's just like hey man if you wouldn't mind man i don't know if you brought lunch to work or whatever but if you have any leftovers man ben would be more than willing to uh take them off your hands and it'll look like and you know this one guy actually said yeah i actually have a sandwich man i actually have a sandwich in my bag man is that okay and kind of looks at me and i'm like yeah man it's it's not that's not coming for me man it's fucking jason so that's a it's a it's a strange <laughs> dynamic but it's a uh, it's all fun and games, man. Yeah, we're we're gonna get into your guys' beef yeah. later on. Uh, I know, I know that's a hot controversy. A, a lot, lot of people, people are asking huh? about it. <laughs> yeah, everyone's been asking. That's what's... Uh, so Ben, tell everyone about yourself. Give yourself a, a little uh, intro. So we can just start with how I, um, where I'm from. I'm from Minneapolis, Minnesota, man. And so no one really knows much about Minneapolis, Minnesota, other than the recent, uh, the recent, uh, somewhat recent news with George Floyd and all that situation. So yeah, I'm, I'm from Minneapolis, Minnesota, man. And the South side of Minneapolis, I actually lived across the street at one point of that situation that happened and man, of that tragedy. And so I grew up playing basketball. I didn't grow up wrestling, didn't grow up doing any type of real combat sports, always liked martial arts, but never really had the money to do it. So I always grew up playing basketball and I went to University of Minnesota there, graduated from there, and started working as a community organizer out of college and in college, too. And um, the recession came at that point, and I was like, dude, I need to fucking find something, man, because I got laid off, and I was like, oh, what am I going to do? And so training kind of kicked up even more, and I started training jujitsu even more. I was doing a bunch of MMA training as well, and um, 
then my ex at the time, she got a job for SeaWorld here in San Antonio. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to move down there with her and maybe get a job too. So I went ahead and did that. And uh, we split after like a year being down in San Antonio. And then I uh, kept working at the job I was at and just kept training and just kind of fell in love with the gym that I was at, which was Brazilian top team, the same gym I'm at now. That's just kind of how I got here to San Antonio. But my whole life until 20, what was it? 25, 24, 25. I grew up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I, I moved here, I think 24, 25. It was oh. Was it 2010, I think, when I moved here? Yeah, I think it was 2010 when I moved here. So that was that. When did you start training in MMA, Ben? So two years before I moved here. I was training two years in uh, Minnesota. So you started roughly around 22 or 23? 22, I think, 23. Yeah, 22, 23 sounds about right. Yeah, I started... I started wrestling and doing jujitsu. And the weird thing about it is I didn't wrestle as a kid and I played basketball, you know, like I said, my whole life. So when I started training, there was a University of Minnesota guy there that wrestled there and he uh, he ended up quitting the team, but he wanted to learn jujitsu. And so he's like, dude, just teach me as much jujitsu as you know. I only know you've only been doing it for a little while, but I'll teach you as much wrestling as I know. So he trained like almost every day and he would just beat the shit out of me and make it really tough on me. Um, so the dude from Hawaii actually was strange, but. Um, and then he taught me how to wrestle. And so I started wrestling the moment I started learning jujitsu, like all the time, probably more wrestling than, than, than jujitsu. And so that's how I, I picked up wrestling, just doing it every day with this guy. What made you initially want to do it? Honestly, man, one of the first videos that inspired me was watching Sean Shirk, man, from um, he was a UFC champion. He was from Minnesota. And he trained at this gym that was like our sister school. And I would see clips of this dude in like pride. And I would see him in the UFC and he was just like beating the shit out of dudes, man. And I was like, man, I got to learn how to wrestle. Like this dude is a stud. And then of course, Hoist Gracie and all the old UFC stuff, like pretty much how everybody else was initially inspired. That's how I was inspired. So it was him and it was some wrestlers in MMA and, you know, Matt Hughes and, you know, a bunch of those guys that I saw. And I was like, man, dude, like these dudes are monsters, man. And this is almost like being a superhero. Like I got to learn to do that. And initially the reason why I started training was, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was weird, man, because I was, uh, I, I had a fear growing up, man, and I didn't want to get beat up. And, and I was just like, you know, that basketball player that would talk a lot of shit on the court, you know? And uh, I also was like, had bad experiences with like racist white dudes there, you know, and uh, it just didn't work out well for me if I, you know, I was like in situations and they'd get the better of me and we'd get into scuffles. And I was like, man, I didn't learn how to fight. Like, I didn't like that. That was terrible. And uh, when you were a teenager, I was, uh, yeah, at that point I was, I was like 18, 19 when I was like, started to be confronted in situations where like, um, they didn't like me and I didn't know why they didn't like me. And I found out pretty soon why they didn't like me. You know, it was a couple situations and it was like just shitty run-ins with police officers and just like that. And so I was like, all right, man, I need to learn how to fight. And, um, cause I don't want to get taken advantage of, right? Like, I don't think anybody really wants that. So that's how I, that's what piqued my interest was self-defense, man. And then once my interest was kind of peaked, you know, and I started training, then, I, I kind of got in more specifically to like the guys that were inspiring me to like to, 
to keep doing it, you know, like the Sharks and the and the uh, Hoist Gracies and guys like that. That's, man, that's initially why I started was I just didn't want to get taken advantage of by some dude that didn't like the way I looked. In a nutshell, man, that's kind of why I started jujitsu. you know, self-defense. And that's insane to hear coming from yeah. you, Ben, because you're one of the more intimidating guys at BTT, and that's how we met. I, and I don't think I talked to you for the first couple months. And every, <laughs> and every time I saw you, it just seemed like you were just, like, mean mugging everyone. I'm like, oh, man, I don't want to fuck with that yeah. guy. Yeah, so, it, man, I'm just not that way, right? But I, I, I come off that way in that environment because I'm always training for a tournament. And I'm always training to, like, beat a guy that has been a black belt longer than I'm training, right? So, of course, there's, like, a certain intensity that I have at the gym, Um but it's not like oh, I don't like people or I don't I don't want to give people the time of day. That 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 that's not it. It's always I'm relatively focused on training. There's a certain amount of expectation that I have with how well I'm want to do in my mind, and so it just comes as my general life, just my demeanor, you know. But once you get to know me, man, I'm not that dude. I'm not a mean guy at all. Oh no, absolutely not. Uh, you, Ben, you're, you're an excellent role model. You're a leader. And when I first got to BTT, it was a giant shift of how I had been training yeah. jiu-jitsu. And I mean, I didn't, I didn't know you, but you were always intense and you were always focused, which to people coming in, it's like, oh man, this dude, like, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to mess with this guy. He's going to like bite my leg and snap my, snap my arm off with an arm bar. That's funny. And I've, I've heard that from most people, man. I got, dude, there's dudes in like, and there's dudes that are in the UFC now. They're like, Hey man, when I met you, I thought you really didn't like me. And I'm like, no dude, I, I didn't know you, man. I just was, I was just training, man. I was just, I don't know. Maybe I need to be a little more cognizant of that. Right. It's just my focus when I'm there. You know, I, I, I have something that I'm focusing on for that day. And I'm like, all right, I need to work on my high crotches to the outside and not get guillotined. I need to be, you know, I need to work on my doubles. and I need to not land in guard. I need to make sure that I land inside or land, you know, make sure that I, I, I work to a half or a uh, passing position. Like I'll, I'll be thinking these things in my mind and I'll be wondering if I work towards those goals while I'm there. And so that can come off as like maybe antisocial because I'm not necessarily socializing when I'm there much. When I was a kid, I wasn't always that way, dude. I was, I grew up a skinny, a skinny, uh, a skinny mixed kid, man. And growing up, dude, we got picked on. We got picked on by everybody, man. Cause we were, we didn't, man, growing up as a mixed kid is hard, man. You got to watch the show Mixedish, man, or a uh, blackish. It's, it's, it's a really good show, but it, it kind of looks at like, the experiences of kids growing up when they're mixed, man, you can, everybody thinks, so all the, you know, you know, all my black friends growing up, you know, you know, they think you're soft and then all the white kids don't like you because you ain't white. It's weird. You know, you know, your nephew, Leo, he's a uh, he man. He reminds me so much of myself, man. You know, when I was a kid and you know, all of a sudden you got your innocence and then you start getting older and you're like, dude, this is shit is different. And I need to find my way here. I was a skinny kid that just kind of got picked on a little bit, man. You know, sometimes more than a little bit. It it built up a certain anger in me and it built up just a certain kind of animosity where I was like, dude, I, I'm just, I need to figure something out. I need to play sports or I need to fight or I need to do something to help me deal with the insecurity I have of being vulnerable. It wasn't always that way, brother. It was not always that way. 
and it it just it's crazy to see uh that that was yeah. your childhood yeah um because looking at you now everything you've accomplished you would never realize that you had all these insecurities you would never realize that you were the guy getting bullied back in the day it's it just it's just completely crazy uh, to anyone who would probably be listening to this from the gym because you're the you're the leader and you're definitely a role model and you're in there focused and everyone everyone respects you there's no animosity there's no people making fun of races in there there's there's none of that in our gym and the people that we're surrounded by yeah it's always a very interesting environment at gyms because of how many different kind of folks there are but not only that it's it's weird there's almost like this unspoken rule there where you're like hey man like let's not talk about politics or let's not talk about race or let's not talk about these things that could possibly become barriers into like us being a cohesive team. And so I'm not saying that you shouldn't talk about those things because you should. And those things are very important to talk about, but you know, you only get, you're only there for an hour and a half to get better. Right. So we got to choose like how we spend that hour and a half. It's an interesting place, man. It is a very, very interesting place, these gyms. I never probably thought I would meet a doctor outside of like a hospital, right? Like I have a friend that's a doctor. I know guys that are general contractors. I know guys that are, you know, like yourself, like, man, the shit you do is amazing. Like, that's an incredible thing. I wouldn't know personally teachers. I wouldn't know, you know, things like that. And so it's definitely a melting pot, but it's also like this place where you can like meet people you normally would never meet you can meet criminals there you can meet <laughs> lawyers there you can meet <laughs> anybody there you know so it's it's and then you're all training together it, it it's it's definitely an incredible dynamic at a gym you know especially the gym that we're at is that what drew you to btt when you first moved to san antonio is that one of the things or what drew you to btt yeah initially? Man, i was driving i look over the highway i see btt and i'm like uh hold up if my memory serves me correctly, because I had been doing jujitsu for a few years in, in MMA for a couple of years. And I was like, if my memory serves me correctly, like that's a, that's a crazy school. Like Paulo Filo is trained there, you know, like Ricardo Arona, you know, Marilla Bustamante, like all these studs that I had been watching on YouTube. And I was like, man, these guys have trained at that school. I didn't know if that was that specific school. So the next day I wake up and I was like, I'm going to that school first thing. I go to that school, I bump into a guy, uh, Travis Lamb. I'm still friends with that dude. And he showed me the school. And I was like, man, dude, this guy's super cool. He's really warm. And he's just in the gym looked rugged. It was rugged as fuck. It was like 30 dudes with their shirts off and shit, training like it was fucking Brazil, you know, no rash guards, you know, sweat everywhere. <laughs> You know, music was blaring, you know, there weren't any girls or anything like that. Not that that'd be a bad thing, but there weren't any girls. It was like he was like at the time his ear was bleeding, you know, because he had just got done sparring and his cauliflower ear was like all bleeding and shit. He's like wiping it with a towel and there's like blood everywhere. And he's like, she's like, yeah, this is where we live. This is where we train. You know, there's some guys that stay in the back here and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like. This gym is fucking crazy. Like, it's nothing like it is now, you know? Like, super rowdy, you know? Almost like a fraternity, you know? And it just really appealed to me. I was like, man, 
the gym I came from was not that way. It was really clean cut. It was kind of built towards the the martial art enthusiast that was like 50 years old and had never probably been in a street fight, but just liked the idea of Bruce Lee and like Jet Kune Do and like, you know, the martial arts. And so that's the gym I came from. And they didn't like to roll there. There was only a few people that liked to roll there. You know, it was, it was, it was a different kind of gym. And when I went to that gym, I was like, oh, this is where I want to be, man. Like, I feel like I can get better here. And then I looked it up and I saw that the guy that was in charge of the gym was Marcelo Salazar. And I was like, oh shit, I've heard of this dude. He's been an ADCC. Oh, he's an ADCC guy. Okay. I definitely want to be there. Cause my ultimate goal was like to be an ADCC guy. And so that's what drew me to the gym. It actually wasn't anything had to do with like, you know, like race or class or anything like not talking. It wasn't anything like that. It was just like the appeal and image of the gym being a rugged place where people trained really hard was just something that I liked. Yeah, I saw pictures from the old days and it definitely looked like a prison. Oh, yeah, gym. for sure. It was <laughs> like people were flipping tires out back with their shirts oh, yeah. off. People are people are like beating each other with hammers. Yeah, <laughs> like the like the sledgehammers. They're not hitting it off the tires. They're just like hitting off each other's yeah, bodies. Yeah, it definitely had that appeal to it. And it was like, if you were bleeding on the mat, there may or may not have been the immediate expectation that you would go and get a towel and clean it up. You might finish the fucking roll and then clean up the blood. You know what I'm saying? Like it was that kind of gym. It was like now stop what you're doing. Go clean up the blood, especially with COVID, right? stop what you're doing, go do this. Back in the day, it was like, dude, you might have just kept rolling, you know? And Marcelo might not have said anything. It was a different gym, but I liked it. It was authentic. Oh, yeah. People who are there are there to get better. People who are there to are to compete. Yeah. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with how, but I definitely see how you're drawn to the initial BTT of Young and it was a younger crowd too, from what I remember. It was a very young crowd, and it was a. Our gym is, uh, it's it's more it's more PC. It's family friendly. It is a amazing environment. Yeah, and guys were taking fights. Guys were competing. Yep. yep. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I definitely I definitely saw yep. that, and yeah, the gyms transitioned a lot over the years. Mostly blue belts went to that gym. It was not like there were black belts at the gym. There was only Marcelo. He was the only black belt at that gym. There weren't much, there was like one brown belt and maybe two purple belts, maybe two purple belts. It was like 45, 50 blue belts that were all really hungry and like similar in age. It was crazy. It was weird. It was just the timing was perfect. And when you first started BTT, were you a white belt or blue I belt? I got my blue belt the week before I moved down. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then you, you stayed at BTT, you progressed over the years, you got a new coach in Diego. Mm -hmm. More guys kept going, more guys kept mm -hmm. growing. And a lot of the guys that you started out with are now brown belts, black belts. Most of um, which quit. Most of those guys quit. Yeah. 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 And and you see that throughout martial arts. Guys quit at the blue belt level. Guys guys quit at the purple belt level. Uh, it's just hard with life and things pop up. People don't stay as motivated to martial arts and jiu-jitsu for long periods of time like you have. The people who have been training as long as you and the people who have been training consistently are, yeah, now now they're brown belts, black belts. But the percentage of those guys is very small. Very, yeah, definitely. I made it kind of sound like it's, oh, yeah, yeah, you just, it's nothing to it. All those guys are brown belts, black belts. I don't know. Like, no, most of the people stop training. So 
eventually you got to the point, Ben, where you were competing and you were competing. You're, you are a high level athlete. You compete with the best and you're actually a two-time world champ. Like you've won nationals. You're an accoladed fighter, the best in the world. And you grew up in the BTT world. Yeah. I would agree with most of those things that you said, but best in the world. I'm a little impartial because, man, Master One, it's, it's, it's the age group between 30 and 35 or 34. And so those guys are really good. Master One is not what Master One was 10 years ago. Master One has ADCC competitors in it. Like this last year, it had several guys that were like on the podium or actually had qualified for ADCC. Like these are these are really good dudes. But it is not adult. So, yes, adult is like, I don't know, I think it's 18, I think, 18 to uh, 29. And those are the best guys in the world. I'm in the division right next to it, right? So those guys are, are, are the best. They train full-time. That They typically don't have full-time jobs. Rarely ever do that. You know, does that happen? But I give myself credit for winning Worlds twice. But, you know, there's also a division that's also very competitive as well, and that's adult. Um, I've beaten guys that have won at adult before. I've submitted guys that have won at adult the year before. And, and so, yes, it's an accomplishment, but a part of it is hard. I'm a, you know, I'm hard on myself, and I have a high expectation. But also, like, adult is very hard, too. So that being said, yeah, man, it – I don't know, man. Like, I didn't compete for a long time. I trained at that gym, dude, and – I got injured. I had a lot of knee injuries and it really stopped me from competing. And so I would go and I would, and I would, and I would, everything would be going well. And I tear my meniscus and I'm like, Oh fuck surgery. I tear it again, surgery. I tear it again, you know? And so I tore my, my tore my meniscus three times and I had a pectoral injury. I had really bad injuries over the years. And so um, just as I'd get going and I'd have a fight and I'm like, all right, time to fight again injury would happen and though and so it was just it was a uh, it was it was tough man and so um yes eventually i got to a point when i think when i was brown belt i stayed relatively injury free most of the time started competing i i was losing you know i, I lost i like lose to good dudes that just weren't very good and i was just losing and i realized that competing man you needed in order to win at that level it wasn't just about training and it wasn't just about doing the right techniques. Instead, it was about getting the right kind of competition experience and realizing what your game is in eight minutes or seven minutes. You know what I mean? So it was, that's a different thing. Cause when you're training at the gym, you're training for maybe a couple different reasons. You might be training a certain position that day. You might be just, you might be trying to tap everybody out. You might, work or whatever but when you're training to compete you're like all right what is my best game against this person's game in seven minutes eight minutes or ten minutes and that involves strategy and in order to find out what your strategy is you have to be very specific about like what your training is like and what you're good at too and and what you're not good at and so the only way to do that shit is through experience you know so you need to put yourself out there enough times to figure out okay i'm good here i'm not so good here so let's work a strategy around my strengths and let's just try to go from there and build off that and that's what i did and um eventually i started winning and uh 
right, right when I started winning at brown belt, fucking Diego gave, gives me my uh, black belt. And I was like, man, I just don't. I'm beyond not ready. I don't feel like I'm ready at all. I don't want this black belt. Um, like, this is not the kind of responsibility I want right now. I was just kind of getting going. I have never competed at a, at a uh, major tournament ever. The only tournaments I had done was like tournaments in Houston, IBJJFs and some Abu Dhabis too. So in Houston and Dallas and San Antonio, I had never competed out the state. I had never competed in a major tournament, never pans. There's people that have done 10 worlds in a row and have never won. And so, yeah, the, the day I actually won worlds was maybe the craziest day I've ever had, man. It was, it was a, man, I tell this story and every time I tell it, I get goosebumps because there was so much that happened that day. And, uh, it was, it was, it was a roller coaster. I had never competed at a major tournament. So if there's anybody that's listening to this podcast that feels like an underdog, man, this is like totally how I felt. That's who I was. It was times a thousand. And so I'm like, all right, I guess I might as well do worlds. And you don't really know how you're going to do, but you just kind of go out there and you kind of just figure it out. But there's no way that you're going to have confidence to do worlds if you haven't like had any type of test before that. And so I competed at my first tournament that year in January and I got submitted in a minute and I, 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 uh, at pans. It was my first major tournament. So it wasn't worlds. It was, it was my first major tournament that year was pans. And I get submitted in a minute with a triangle. And I'm like, fuck, I drove all the way here. This is terrible, man. Like this is, this is horrible. And so I was like, all right, hopefully I could be fresh in December. So it gives me almost a year to get, you know, to get my shit together so I can compete at Nogi world. So I'm like, all right, man, I'm going to go ahead and do that. I competed at the Dallas open. I competed at three or four or five other tournaments was Long Beach Open where I competed against Keenan Cornelius in the adult division. And so I was like, fuck, everyone obviously has the expectation that I'm just going to be like just completely tooled. Like I'm not, I'm going to be, I'm going to look terrible. He's going to highlight me the way he highlights everybody else. It's going to be really, really bad. I know really good guys that he's making really light work of. I know real good guys that he's beat like effortlessly and so these are world world champions that he's made look bad and i'm thinking like people think he's just gonna destroy me so i'm like oh fuck it so i go there it was eight four and i was in the match the whole time and we fought every last second um and it went the distance the whole 10 minutes i would never been more tired in a match in my life and i was like all right if he can make super light work of all these dudes and I take him and I push him to where he's like fighting for every inch of his life, at least I felt at that moment, maybe, maybe that's a little bit of an overstatement. Right. And so that was a match that like gave me the confidence to realize uh, that I could do it, man. If I can push this dude for 10 minutes where he has to bring every best part of his game out, I think I could, I think I could do well at worlds. You and know? and that Keenan was Cornelius, my... he's one of the best in the world. Like he is well known in the jiu-jitsu community. He is one of the best in the world, if not the top ranked guy. Like he's won worlds, hasn't he? An adult. He's won no. He's won no gi worlds, not gi worlds, but he's beaten so many gi world champions and submitted gi world champions. He's he's a guy that I've looked up to for a long time. 
I'd say out of the best gi jiu-jitsu guys that are from America, that were born in America, he's definitely top five, no question about it. Like maybe the most innovative jiu-jitsu style ever. Think really highly of in terms of his jiu-jitsu, man. Like he's, he's the dude and he was, I mean, he's won everything at Brown and Purple and, and he's, he's been dominating the game for a long time. And so I did that tournament because I saw his name in the division. I was like, dude, I want to go against the best. I want to go against him. And so the first guy I beat real quick, it was fine. And then the second was, was him. And it was a crazy match and it caught a lot of people's eyes. And uh, there was a lot of guys watching that match that came up to me and was like, Hey man, I don't know who you are, but you just had a, a crazy match with Keenan Cornelius. And uh, it was a, uh, it was definitely something that gave me confidence. So then I, my next tournament, I think, was Worlds. And so I went in the Worlds. Nobody fucking knew me. I went in this place, and literally, when you know fucking nobody, you know, like, the awkward party that you go to where you don't know anybody, and you're like, dude, I can't even I can't even vibe and relax right now, you know? Because, like, nobody knows who the fuck I am. I mean, not you, Mark, because everybody knows who you are, but, like... <laughs> yeah, right. You know, imagine going to a place where you don't know anyone. And so... Nobody knew who I was. Everybody thought that I would probably lose in the first round. And so, man, it was crazy. So the tournament starts, and first match, I almost get my leg broke because I fucking leave my leg out there. And he rolls to, like, a belly-down ankle lock, and he is, oh, my God, man, it hurts so bad. But I didn't want to tap. And so I eventually get out of it, and my leg immediately tightens up. And it looks like there's a baseball in my calf. Like, it's swollen. I can, it's so bad. And I'm like, I don't know what the fuck, why that happened? What the fuck is wrong with me? And I was like, you need to snap out of it, man. The pace at these world tournaments is completely different. You need to figure your shit out. And so the second match was Tarsus Humphreys. He's a world champion. And um, he's beaten, he's beaten everybody. He's actually beaten Keenan uh, Cornelius. And uh, he's beaten other really good guys. He's a stud. And so I had him the second match, and it was a ref decision. I thought I won it. I still think I won that match. And the ref was like, nope, we're going to go ahead and give it to him. And so I was like, fuck, this is terrible. This is not good. That match didn't go my way. It was really kind of back and forth, but I felt that I had edged it. And then I left. And then I talked to uh, Josh Hinger, actually. And I was like, man, and I had talked to him before at Long Beach Open. And so we kind of developed a relationship from tournaments. And I was like, man, tell me what you think. And he's like, you know what? Fuck it. Do absolute. Do open class. Because I ended up placing third at that uh, uh, in my weight class. And he's like, just do open class, man. Why not? You're here. You came all the way here. You spent money to travel. Open class. Just go rest, relax, eat something, and in four hours compete again. And I was like, fuck, I don't know. I didn't plan on doing open class. I just lost. My leg is fuck up, fucked up. I can barely walk right. I can, I cannot move my ankle, Mark. Like, I could not move my ankle at all. It was really bad. Dang. I didn't and, know that you were in that situation. Yeah, no. I could not move my ankle. It hurt so bad in my leg, and it was so swollen. And my coach at the time uh, was like, Diego's like, hey, you need to ice your leg, and you need to go and relax somewhere and just don't think about anything. So I did that. And then we went to go eat pizza. So I had like a bunch of pizza and carbs and I felt great after that, but legs still felt terrible. So open class comes and I'm like, Oh fuck, here we go. First guy I compete with 
uh, he had won Worlds the year before uh, as a checkmat dude. And I was like, well, there's no easy matches at Worlds. So I go, and the first two minutes, it's like back and forth. And I'm like, what the fuck am I doing, man? I'm like, I'm better than this guy. So I turn it up, and I just make like a mental switch in that match that changed everything for the rest of the tournament. And that mental switch was, I don't give a fuck. I've already lost. I've already fucked my leg up. I don't give a fuck. Why not give it everything I have? Why not? And um, so I said, fuck it. Let's do it. And I ended up submitting the guy like 30 seconds after I made that mental switch. And so I'm like, cool. All right, one down. Next guy. Smaller guy. Really technical dot guy. Diego Bispau. I don't remember his name, but really technical guy. Um, that was a close match. I ended up edging it out with advantage. He's, he's a guy that plays such a tight game that he's not going to open up his game enough to like put himself in, in danger. And some might call that like a stallier game. Others just might call that like, you know, playing smart, but regardless, I got, you know, I got past the guy. So then third match comes semifinals. I'm like, man, I can't believe I'm this far. And who the fuck do I get again? Fucking Tarsus Humphreys. So I'm like, God, motherfucker. You know, and Diego's like, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You're okay, man. You got it. You can do this. You can beat this guy. Because Diego had beat him in the division and he had actually won the division. So he's like, dude, you can fucking beat this guy for sure. You almost beat him, but you can't hold back. And so the match starts and I'm like wrestling. I'm like heavy fucking hands, collar ties, grab clearing the wrist you know, posting hard, I'm moving him, I'm, I'm shot faking. He doesn't like that shit. He's like, this dude's going to take me down. And so he pulls guard. And he has a really good guard. It's really hard to pass his guard. I last 10 seconds, I get past his guard and he turtles. So it's an advantage on me. And I'm like, okay, you got it. I got passed. Fuck, I can't believe I'm in the finals. So I'm in the finals. My wife is like, yeah, my wife is... Man, when I think of how she supports me, it's hard for me not to get emotional. She supported me for so long, and she believes in me more than I believe in myself. Man, she's she's uh, she's incredible, man. She's been way more than a support system. She's been almost like my foundation. I'm Vanessa really is awesome. And I, I, yeah. I think I probably have – I have a lot of weight on Vanessa, and she still kicks my ass. So I'll put that in there too. Yeah. She's awesome. I'm glad this is an audio video, audio uh, podcast. When I think of how much she supports me, I always get emotional, you know? So anyways, she's just like, I'm so proud of you. You made it to the finals. Uh, you know, you've done so well. I was like, well, great. You know, fuck it. Let's just do, let's just do the finals. And I get into the finals with a guy named Marcelo Mafra. I don't know who he is. And I'm glad I didn't know who he was because he had won adult worlds the year before. And just decided to do Master One this year. So it's me and him in the finals, and he's beating everybody. The match, the match starts, and he has this really fucking strange half guard. It's called Coyote Half Guard. And I didn't know what it was at the time. I didn't really understand it, but I could not smash this dude. He would like find a way to get under me and put both of his hands on one of my wrists and he'd elevate me. And he like kept doing this. And I was bigger than the guy. But he just did such a good job. And so his main training partner is Lucas Leitch. And uh, they do this Coyote half guard deal. And I was just so frustrated with it. 
And I'm like, fuck, man. So it's back and forth. I almost take him down. He scrambles up. He, like, gets this coyote half guard, and he elevates me and almost fucking takes my back. And I'm like, God, this fucking dude is slick. This guy's hard to beat. We scramble a little bit. He almost takes my back, then catches me in a calf slice. And then I see a position that most people think I never work, and that's 50-50. I may work 50-50 more than any other position. And so everyone tries to get me in 50-50 because I have long legs. So he puts me in 50-50, and I see his ankle. And I'm like, oh, shit, there's my belly down 50-50 ankle lock, which is like a really good submission for me. And I finished a lot of really, really good guys in it throughout the year. And I hit it. And he tries to kind of roll completely through, like, out of the submission. And I'm like, dude, there's, I thought in my mind, like, there's no fucking way you're getting out of this. And so I belly down. And I just finish it with one hand. And I feel the guy tap. And the moment the guy tapped, I just hear and see 50 people fucking scream. I mean, just like fucking explode. My wife, I can hear my wife more than anything. I heard my coach at the time, Diego's yelling. I can't believe that I won Worlds. Like, it like starts to hit me like, holy shit, you just won open class. You didn't win your fucking division. You won open class. And open class is always like a more prestigious thing than the division, right? Typically. Oh, absolutely. You're, so, you're the champion out of all the weight classes. Yes. Yeah. And there was a ton of guys that were in that open class. And it was really, really tough. And uh, I just see my wife. And she's just so proud of me. And I see my coach. And he's super proud of me. I saw a couple other guys. I saw Gabriel, which is another black belt at BTT. He's really proud. And he's and he's screaming and oh man it was it was crazy and then i just kind of like start yelling and i start jumping up you know like when a kid is really really happy and he gets he's like at the candy store he doesn't know what else to do and he closes his eyes and starts jumping up and down well that's what happened to me and i like i look at it now and i'm like god what a fucking loser man you know like you look like a fucking 3 year old and uh I'm just jumping up and down and I can't believe what just happened. But like, I know that I won and I didn't have any more matches. So I was like, well, fuck it. I guess I'm the champion. And so, yeah, that's, that's how that happened. And I did that basically on one leg. I couldn't move my leg in these matches. Like my leg hurt, but I was just trying to like, fuck it. You know, you're in California, man. You spent like $800 on this trip. Fuck it. Fuck your leg. And then I remember after the tournament, my entire like left leg, from the ankle to the knee was like black. It was like all this dried up blood. I don't know what happened, but it was black. And my ankle had turned into like a fucking football. And so I could barely put my shoes on after that. And I like had to wear sandals and shit because my fucking ankle was huge because this guy almost broke my damn leg and the, uh, which I actually finished that guy. I took his back and finished that guy. But it was a, it was, it was a crazy day. But I think the biggest, one of the biggest lessons I learned was like, if you have a support system and you have people around you that believe in you and that's, a, and it's a genuine kind of belief, it's almost like they are, it's almost like, man, mentally, it almost feels like a physical thing too, but it feels like they're almost lifting you up. They're almost there with you as you're competing. You know, it's like this really strange kind of support and sense of faith that, you have people behind you that are supporting you. And it's an amazing feeling when you can compete with that. And so I don't think I, I would have accomplished that winning the second year where I submit almost everybody. Um, and I was a lot more confident. 
And uh, just a couple months ago at Pants, where, in my opinion, I won everything. And it, 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 it was, it's, it's, been, it's been a few things. It's been my coach's belief in me. He has, and he'll tell it to me straight up, like Diego, awesome. I mean, will, will often just tell me, yeah, you look like shit. You, you got to get your head out of your ass. Like, that's just not going to cut it, right? He'll say that. Uh, but also, it's my wife, man. You know, my wife never puts the expectation on me that I have to win. She'll always tell me, you know, she'll always tell me things like, whatever happens, you know, I love you and I care about you. And I'm just happy that you're in a position to do what you love. Like, I don't give a fuck how you do. Yes, I want you to win, you know, and she just, you know, she she repeats this, this mantra. And I, I'm more motivated than nervous. When people put the expectation that they have to win on themselves, that expectation comes with so much nerves and like doubt and all this shit that creeps in your mind. And you're like, man, what if I don't win? What if I do, you know, but when they're just like, Hey man, fuck it. I really don't care either way. If you win or lose, I just love you as a person. And I want you to, and I want you to do well. And so, man, that for me is just the biggest, um, biggest thing that I kind of learned from that day is how important a support system is and the belief that you have in yourself. And when you say, I just don't care. I just don't care what happens. You're able to like do your job better than if you care. It's super strange how it works, but um, I found that out through, through experience, through firsthand experience, you know, that day. So it was a crazy time, man, but I'm, I'm definitely thankful for it. And I'm, and I'm thankful for the support system that I have, you know? And not only that, Ben, everyone in the gym was ecstatic. Yeah. I didn't know that until after people told me they were like, people were watching and they were really happy. I, I didn't even, man, I didn't even know that there was a lot of people watching that. And that, man, that means a lot to me. It's cool. Yeah. They, really the cool. world championships, uh, they're a big deal. I, they're a lot. You can watch them live on the, on the internet and everyone did. And it was really cool to see when, when you belly down and got the submission on that guy. Uh, well, even, even before that, cause people were, people were updating as the matches were going down. So it's like, oh, Ben, he's in the quarterfinals. Ben, he's in the semifinals. And then uh, Ben's in the finals. And me, I'm like, holy crap. I was like, Ben's in the finals of the world championships. Absolute master one. Like, this is insane. And then you belly down and uh, and get that guy. And you get up, you scream. And, dude, we were all screaming with you. It That is the coolest thing. And, and that's the thing about BTT is everyone – was- the 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 best moments that I had in competing were, you know, it's a lot smaller tournament. It's not world championships, but I'm at an IBJJF or I'm at a Naga, and everyone is around your ring, looking at you and wanting you to win. And that that's an an amazing yeah. feeling. And everyone had that in the gym, for you on the highest level, being in the being in the worlds and then being a world champion. So when you got that, we were all ecstatic. That puts yeah. our gym on the map. That gives everyone pride, and that made us all want to keep training harder. They're like, dude, I don't want to, I don't want to let Ben down. I want to let Diego down. You guys have that credibility to make us want to better ourselves. And you didn't just win the world championships; you bettered everyone around you. You know that. Thank you. One, uh, yeah, I agree with that, man. You know, the second time I went, I, I, I basically, long story short, I just submit basically everybody, and I submit most of them in like under a minute or a minute maybe a little over a minute. And these are really, really good guys. Because in like the, the second time I was around, I was like, all right, I know what this feels like. 
I know what this feels like. I know what these guys are going to feel like. Like, this is this is this is fine, right? And then the third time around, I had lost in the last minute. And then the fourth time around this year, it was a questionable call that they gave the guy. I ended up getting second, but it, it's one of those things where, man, dude, you just you just don't know how many people love you, you know, and support you until it happens. And you're like, and then everyone's super super happy for it. That's what I like about our team. That's what I like about. And you and you said something that kind of caught my ear, man. You said, I don't want to let my team down and my coaches down. The way I look at it, like, I'm not disappointed if you lose, right? Like, I don't feel let down if you're not a first place, you know, if you're not a champion. You know what I'm saying? Like, that. that's not something that I feel. I, I usually express in this particular way here, and that is the amount of time that they put into you. And so when you know that they really care about you, it's not conditional. It's not based on whether or not you win or lose. It's a unconditional thing that is built off of who you are as a person. And so when you can develop that kind of affection for somebody, for another human being, it doesn't really matter if they win or lose. It's, it, it's fun. It's more fun. I think if they win, right, it's more enjoyable. But I think as long as you are, developing those deep connections with people and, the, and, and a deep interest in them to develop, it becomes an unconditional thing. And so I'm never let down when you don't succeed. I'm never letting, you know, like I, I, I don't feel that way about anybody else at the gym. I just, man, I'm, I'm just, man, I'm just, dude, we're going to die, right? <laughs> we're going to die. Fuck, man. We're going to die maybe sooner than later. People are going to forget about this conversation. And so I'm just glad that we are enjoying what we're doing while we're here. And uh, hopefully we can create a lasting impression on people's lives that are still alive. And hopefully we can write our names in history in some small type of way. And I think after that, you know, fuck it. Doesn't really matter, you know? So I just think it's important to focus on the things that are so valuable. And that is the deep connections with people and uh, the relationships uh, that we have with our loved ones, man, is crazy. Like my wife and my good friend Jason and my friend Smitty and Chris Easter and, you know, all these guys, you know, Avery and, you know, and, and how I was coached. Like those are the things that are most important to me. I never think like I'm going to take my medals to the grave. Like it's not that thing. It's like those relationships are what keeps me warm and they make me feel valuable i think that's probably the most important thing that i can think of that uh, i take away from from this whole journey of jiu-jitsu this whole journey of competing i guess that settles the beef between you and jason he had some pretty bad things to say about you on our podcast that we had together so yeah the beef the beef is no longer there and i'm good to hear it well i wouldn't say it's no longer there it just really depends on like the day-to-day -day, you know what i mean and sometimes I walk into the gym and he'll disrespect me in front of everybody. Other times he's cordial and he'll say hello. But you know what I'm saying? It really just depends on the day to day. I would say that that beef is never officially over. There was one USC watch party we all went to um, at Alex's house. And I think he like hit you with a bag of celery and then you guys started like going at it on the floor. It was, yeah. was kind of weird. I didn't know what to think. Yeah, man. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sorry you had to experience that, brother. I feel like, <laughs> I 
feel like so often, man, <laughs> I'm like put in a position where it's either I got to defend myself, I have to defend my the little pride I have left. And, you know, Jason is a guy that he's a he's a line stepper, man. He's a habitual line stepper. And I've heard he, I've heard uh, that. I've heard that come from you. Yeah. Yeah. And so sometimes I check him and when I check him, it might last for a week, it might last for two weeks, but then he's right back at it again. And yeah, so, yeah he's uh, right back there line stepping. But in all seriousness, man, Jason's been, man, the gym now with all the training partners I have now, man, it wasn't like that back in the day. It was really just me and Jason, me, Jason coach, you know, it was just us three. He's helped me so much with my leg entanglements and uh, leg attacks, the way I defend legs, particularly the ankle lock on my left leg, which he will never let go. If he has your left leg, he'll never let go. Uh, he'll just keep it for a year and a half. And so that's particularly his game, but it's helped me. He's in all seriousness, he's, he's, he's helped me so much. Uh, with my game and he's probably going to claim that I probably helped him quite a bit too, but we've definitely helped each other. He's a guy that um, I don't really like as a human being, but as an athlete, man, this dude really has a uh, <laughs> incredible ability to like, you know, make things difficult. He'll definitely get you better. He's an older guy and uh, he's, he's not the best looking kind of guy, you know, um, <laughs> when you look at him straight, you kind of feel like maybe you're looking at him at an angle because his nose is really crooked. Um, and his ears look really strange because they kind of stick out and they have like really heavy cauliflower on them. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then he's usually always wearing his, like his camel pants and he has a diet do in his hand. There's a lot going on, brother. There's a lot going on. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Uh, it doesn't make sense, but hey, that's Jason, man. That's Jason. <laughs> man, I miss all the guys at BTT. My my goal is to get back. So if all works well, I'll be back there next summer. That's where I'm trying to get back to, and hopefully oh, I can I get back to training with you guys. I thought you were never gonna come back, dude. You know what? It's the military. I'm on their dime, and I'm I'm trying to get a gig recruiting down there in San Antonio. So if I get that, I'll be back living my best life in BTT like I was, because. Nice. Everyone there is awesome. Like you said, it's an amazing environment, loving environment, family environment. And everyone there is just a, they're, they're there to make each other better. They're there all having this common goal to, to better themselves in their day-to-day -day lives. So it's, it was awesome to be around. And I was probably my happiest there being around all of you guys every day. So uh, it was awesome. It was awesome. And I know you got to go, Ben. Yeah. Quickly, uh, what are some of your future goals and aspirations? So goals for this year, uh, I'm going to be competing in the trials in November. The trials, the ADCC trials, Abu Dhabi Combat Club is the most prestigious no-gi -tour no tournament in the world, more, more prestigious in the worlds. That's a little dip that the rule system is different. All that's different. So that's, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a completely different type of tournament. I'm excited to do that tournament. I've been training hard for that tournament. I've been training a lot of leg locks, a lot of heel hook defense, a lot of attacking, a lot of wrestling a lot of guard passing. And so that is my next goal. My goal is also to open up a gym. I'm not sure exactly where. I have a couple places that I'm looking. Um, like where? I don't want to talk too much about it because I haven't really ironed those things out and I don't want the first time people hear about it is like through the podcast. So there's okay, some important okay, people fair, that I need fair to talk enough, to. Fair enough. Yeah, so I don't know exactly where yet, but as soon as I find out, I will let you know. Those are my goals. Of course, man, I, I have a beautiful, amazing daughter who's about a year and a half. And she is 
beyond incredible. She's super sassy. She's long and skinny like me. <laughs> she uh, she has very specific uh, likes and dislikes, you know, and she is like so much. Uh, dude, she's like just my passion right now. So every single day when, when people ask me, well, what, well, what's the future plans? Man, spending as much time as I can with her, you know, spending as much time as I can with her and teaching her as much as I can teach her, you know, going on rides, man, going one walks outside. I mean, just little stuff, man. I'm just really thankful that I'm in a position to just spend time with her, you know? And so that's, that's something else. And then, yeah, and, I, and I'm still teaching, I'm still doing that, but I don't know for how long because I want to own a gym and I want to start doing this full time and I want to just coach and I want to just, you know, that's what I want my life to be. And so those are my, those are my uh, goals. And then maybe get new friends uh, too, because I feel like Jason yeah. is. He's wild. I, I, I spend too much time with it's, it's It's one of those things, brother, man, where, you know, when you're like, addicted to an unhealthy relationship yeah and like yeah when he hurts me i always say things to myself like but he says he loves me he says he loves me <laughs> and me i probably deserved it yeah i i i i, I gotta keep you know, I, you know i gotta keep in line you know and it dude i'm telling you there's so many times where we've been down this road and honestly i just feel now man like how many more times can i can I put myself through that, man? So I'm accepting yeah. new applications for friendship. If anybody's listening. Um, yeah. I, I'm sure there's lots to, of people. I'm sure there's lots of people at the gym. You mm, can make new friends with. Don't know about that, brother. Maybe, maybe not, but I do. Yeah. Know yeah. That okay. Maybe outside, maybe outside the gym, maybe like go yeah. to the mall or mm, I don't that's know, a big, like, maybe that's a big a homeless maybe shelter. You have to do jujitsu, right? So we, you, you, that's, that's almost an imperative, right? You, you, you have to do jujitsu. You have to, man, your nose, can't look anything like jason's nose right it can't it's distracting and i feel like it's a barrier between like good human genuine connection um, you have to be a dude that uh, i don't know man you just got to be you just got to be a dude you got to be a dude yeah and so i know that list is getting smaller especially when you tell me things like i'm not like very approachable but, you know, <laughs> hey i'm gonna get some new friends soon man i, I promise i will brother. hey you're approachable now ben now that you know me, yes. Now that you know me, man. I'm just saying, you. I didn't know if you were gonna like stab me or punch me in the face. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, man. You know what's funny, man? Your mom really likes me, and your dad really likes me, and uh, that's a good thing, right? I guess. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We all love you, Ben. Dude, it was man. Your mom's a trip, man. She's probably gonna listen to this. She's for sure gonna listen to this. Dude, she's a trip, <laughs> man. She but, cracked me up. Dude. Oh, she she's is. Like, She's such a mom, and dude, she loves you so much, man. She's such a sweet lady, man. Like, I'm just never gonna forget that first interaction I had with her. And I'm like taking a nap in that back room, and all of a sudden I hear Ben, Ben, like someone's yelling my name, and I'm like, holy shit, who is that? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she's like, I free, I'm pretty sure she was like, you know, your your uh, nephew Leo. Uh, she's like, come and come and swim with Leo. Come and swim with him. Come and meet him. Come meet him. And she's like yelling, and I was like in deep REM sleep. And I was like, oh my god, what, where am I? What's happening right now? And I go out, and she like embraced me, and you know, interacted with me as if she knew me my whole life. It was just, it was just funny, man. She's such a great, great lady, and your dad is 
awesome too. Silent kind of guy for a second, you think like, oh, this dude fucking hates me, man. This dude wants to shoot me in the face. And then, <laughs> and then you realize like that's just his personality where he's just kind of like a reserved dude, you know? Oh, and oh yeah. He, and then he starts yeah. cracking jokes. Then he starts cracking jokes. Yeah. Dry sense of humor like me, man. He's a good dude. He's a great dude, man. You got some great parents, man. Well, thank you. Yeah, it was it was awesome. It was awesome doing uh, nationals with you. Um, yeah, it was great. That was a fantastic time, dude. It was weird seeing Vegas outside of the strip. Right, I'm just used to seeing Vegas and all the lights and all the crazy shit. But I saw like a regular residential neighborhood with like a dog that like <laughs> was weird as fuck, man, but super cool and just like a normal family. It was it was definitely cool, man. I'm I'm sorry. I can, the streets pretty much raised me. I don't live in the best neighborhood, but I'm, but I'm yeah, glad you I were noticed able to that, that experience. I noticed that, brother. But hey, man, <laughs> tell you what, I walked around, and it was I think it was late at night, and we had just shit. I can't say that on this podcast. <laughs> uh, we a friend of mine was smoking, and you know it's all legal there. And I'm just thinking to myself, I can't believe I'm walking around the damn neighborhood with somebody smoking. I was not smoking. He's smoking a joint. Like, <laughs> two black dudes, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, dude, this would fucking never fly. But everyone was super cool. Super nice neighborhood, man. It was a great experience. Brother, I got to roll the fuck out of here because I got a meeting at 2.15 and I got to run and get lunch and I got to get back in time. Um, All right, Ben. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you for being an excellent role model to myself and everyone else you come in contact with. It was good talking and catching up with you. Too kind, man. Yeah, man. Thank you for having me, man. And um, fuck, man, we can maybe do this again, man. Maybe next time I could get, uh, I don't know, at least five or ten bucks for it. You know what I mean? (laughs) Just let me know. Yeah, yeah. I'll shoot you the Venmo. Yeah, you still take Venmo, right? Brother, I take any forms of payment. And when I mean any forms of payment, I mean any forms of payment. You know what I mean? <laughs> if you want to do something strange for change, just holler at me. Let me know. <laughs> All right. All right, Ben. Yeah, I'll, All uh, right, brother. I'll put in a rain check for it. All right. I'll let you boy, man. I'll see you later.